Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are listening to Canadian Gothic, a series by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners. For tonight's episode, I got something a little bit different, but I guess it's also a little bit the same. When Madeleine Klein and I get together for our Canadian Gothic branded episodes, we're usually covering a dark Canadian crime story or stories of the many creeps and weirdos that seem to want to sleep with the average Canadian going about their lives. Well, tonight, those two themes are going to slam themselves together into a mess of crime, chaos, and, well, I guess the pursuit of romantic companionship. Let me explain. There exists a publicly accessible website that provides a link between Canadian prison inmates and members of the public that seek to pursue relationships with them. That's right, a dating site for inmates. If you're interested on who has registered to use it and what they did to end up behind bars, you're in the right place. In this episode, Madeleine Klein and I are going to present a few prison inmate dating profiles and we're going to dig into the inmates' backstories. So if you want to date an inmate, listen to this episode first. Let's not waste any more time and get into it. Ms. Madeleine Klein, it says banana behind you. What's that all about? Um, well, I was thinking that this is like the only platform that I haven't really mentioned anything on. Because um, I've announced and it's no longer a secret. And you've known for a while. But I'm expecting. Cool. Congrats, so, nighttime congrats. Have, did you wait a sec? Did you not announce it on the show as well? No, not yet. I was thinking about it last week because last week is when we found out we're having a girl. So I'm like over halfway. Okay. But yeah, I just I didn't I got really like shy and anxious about it. I didn't really know how to do it. So I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> okay, good. Wow. So, so banana banana is how big my baby is. Wow. Right that is yeah. great. Uh, you would think of a banana like wiggled around and did things you'd like feel it have you felt this banana child moving at all for sure today um i in hindsight i think i felt her like maybe a week or two ago but i was i just thought it was my stomach rumbling <laughs> hmm. so it but, could be yeah could be the baby maybe indigestion either or <laughs> it's like well that was kind of a funny feeling but yeah, I wasn't sure. Well, I'm not particularly large either. So I think I was just convinced that because I wasn't showing much, there's no way I could feel it. Mm, well, but on behalf of myself and all the listeners of Nighttime, congrats. And we're all so excited for you. I can't wait you. to babysit. And I will. Via Zoom. But I, well, can you see? Yeah, that, you just put them in front of the laptop and I'll talk to them or sit them on an airplane and send them down to Halifax. We've got a deal. <laughs> uh, there were, I promise you, as, as a father myself, and with this being your first, I will tell you, there is times that you would probably want to put this banana on an airplane to Halifax. But I look forward to being there with you and uh, talking you off the many ledges of parenting. Well, thank you. You've already... Um... You've already done so in the last 21 weeks, so it's been great. <laughs> okay. You were actually, other than my husband, you were the second person I told. <laughs> so. Wow. One night after we were streaming, and it was like the day after I found out, you were talking about your kids, and then you were like, do you and Justin ever think about having kids? And I got like really weird and bashful. <laughs> I was like, uh, uh. Yeah. And then I said, do you, I said, do you want to know a secret? And you were like, 
don't tell me anything you don't want me to know. <laughs> yeah, that was a big night. Oh, yeah. I'm glad we put that out in the open because I've been living with this secret <laughs> since then. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Um, but other than that announcement and the upcoming uh, welcoming of, uh, of, of Baby Klein, what's new with you? What's going on? Uh, other than that, not too much. Like I just said, with in regards to Baby Klein, we just found out she's a girl last week, and I for sure felt her today. But yeah, other than that, not too much. Um, I was thinking before we started, I was thinking about if I had watched anything recently. And I did. Last weekend, I watched, uh, right? I watched a fabulous documentary um, about Ashley Madison. I think it's just called The Ashley Madison Affair. Is Ashley oh. Madison the website? Yeah. Where you like, would have an affair. Yeah, but specifically for married people. Okay. Yeah, it was it was good. It's on Disney+. Plus. Ironically, I don't know why it's on Disney. <laughs> Disney supports that, yeah. But is I guess. It, but wasn't that the site where you could like set up an account and have an affair, but then they got hacked? Yes, and that's like part of the, it's a three-episode documentary. Uh, of course, everything is nowadays. And, yeah, exactly. So yeah, they got hacked and like all of their personal information, photos. Oh, you, yeah. you love that, right? <laughs> oh, like I live for stuff like this. <laughs> Uh, me too. Um, and I, also, I didn't know that the creator of Ashley Madison's Canadian. Oh, we're so proud of him. Great, yeah. And I we're say so proud of him, knowing it's a man. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was actually a perfect segue into what we're doing. The discussion of Ashley Madison, a website where people can maybe find love or maybe not so much love, but at least find someone. Whatever they're looking for. Whatever they're looking for. Because tonight, I don't know how to introduce this, but we are going to, I think, mash up everything we've done together. We do the encounters with creeps. We do true crime and dark stories. If you kind of take everything that we do together on the Canadian Gothic series and mash it up, I think you end up with tonight's episode, which I've titled, Want to Date a Prison Inmate? And then subtext or whatever, a review of Canadian inmate dating profiles. Now, I think this concept is going to be new to people, but little do maybe the many people on the mainstream know, but there is a website which compiles profiles for currently incarcerated criminals and gives them the ability to connect with I don't know, men or women or whomever that may want to connect with them in essence a dating website for canadian inmates did you like before we started kind of planning this were you familiar with the canadian inmates dating site no and i can't believe it because <laughs> like i said like i love stuff like this yeah <laughs> I oh this is right up your alley it's never dawned on me that this absolutely exists and like i'm not surprised it's there I'm surprised I didn't find it sooner. <laughs> yeah, the, the website is called Canadian Inmates Connect. It's all done through the internet. I'm going to read you kind of their about us section, which kind of des it describes the, what they do and why they do it. So it says, created in 2010, Canadian Inmates Connect serves as a pathway to connect inmates with the outside world. The hope is to attract pen pals from across Canada and essentially the world who would be willing to write to an inmate. 
Allowing inmates the opportunity to communicate with the outside world can help decrease their chances of becoming institutionalized. It can also be a pro-social method to assist with their reintegration back into society and possibly help reduce the rate of recidivism. These inmates are obviously incarcerated for a reason, and each with their own story to tell. Feel free to browse through the various pages of inmate profiles and consider writing one today. So it, it kind of describes it more as like, this is a, a good thing, find pen pals, help them remain socialized. But to me, when I went through the many, many profiles, it very much comes across as like a dating site. What was your take on that? These majority men and very few women are mm -hmm. not looking for more friends. <laughs> uh, They've got enough friends where they are. Mm -hmm. They, yeah, they don't need companionship. In many cases, their friends got them into this mess. And they're, it, exactly. Uh, here's, a, here's an example of, um, and, and this isn't one I had to search for. I wanted to make the case to show that this, uh, uh, make the case of how this comes across as a dating site. I'm like, I'm just going to choose a random profile and, you know, just pick a part of the language that makes it sound like dating. So I think the first one, maybe the second one I clicked on was a fella named Dustin Eagle, who's in prison in Saskatchewan for manslaughter. And here's how he ends his, uh, his kind of profile. He has a message for any of the women who may be interested in corresponding with him. Here's what Dustin Eagle says. He says, she's got to take care of herself hygienically. Plus she's got to be into gangsters because I'm terror squad, but don't get me wrong or misunderstood. Just because I'm a gangster doesn't mean I don't know how to treat a lady because I can be a gentleman too. And who knows? Maybe I'll put a ring on it. <laughs> Are you intrigued? I'm not sure intrigued is the right word. <laughs> uh, Terror Squad is like a, a, a gang in Saskatchewan, right? I think right out of Saskatoon. Saska in, Saskatoon. Okay. In that area, yeah. Uh, I remember the name of it because they came up when we did the episode about the stabbings in Saskatchewan, the perpetrator, yeah. some of the early people he attacked, he was accusing of being terror squad members. Uh, but, I just, but this it's guy so is cringy. It is the secondhand embarrassment I feel for this man. <laughs> mm, yeah. And, uh, and it's, and then the, each profile will be a little write up uh, about like who they are, what prison they're in, how old they are, uh, what they're in for like what crime they committed there'll be a little write-up and then a couple photos um before we get into what we're going to do let me talk a little bit about what actually brought us here and the genesis for this episode so uh, i've known about canadian inmates connect uh, for a while it comes up every so often in, in the news generally when like a high profile criminal ends up on there someone will report on it some criminals that I've known about that have come up on it was uh, Derek Wood, who was the man responsible for the McDonald's murders that happened in Sydney, Nova Scotia. I covered it on the show for a period of time. He had a profile on there. Um, but the reason we're here now is because we just recently did an episode covering the murder of Catherine Campbell. Um, and after we did that episode together, I heard from quite a few listeners who were reacting to a section of the episode where we talked about Catherine Campbell's killer, Chris Garnier, and the fact that his girlfriend had stood by him during, during the trial and at least into the early days of his incarceration. Uh, they were letting me know, several people wrote, to say, I don't think they're together anymore. And the reason I don't think Chris Garnier is with his girlfriend anymore is because he has an, uh, a profile up on um, Canadian Inmates Connect. 
So I'm like, oh my God, I forgot all about that site. And I went and found Chris Garnier's profile. And you took a direct flight to Canadian Inmates oh, yeah. Connect.com. I, like, <laughs> I got to see this. And I think I shared it with you. I read it. And just the contrast between when we covered the story of the murder of Catherine Campbell, you hear about this guy strangling a woman, putting her in a compost bin and moving her through downtown, getting arrested while on his way there with like gas in his car and a tarp. You hear this awful story, but then you read his kind of dating profile and just the contrast is remarkable. And that's why I thought, you know, I think we got an episode here. Let me read you Chris Garnier's profile actually, since I'm on it. So of course, Chris Garnier, who's serving time right now, um, for second degree murder and unlawful disposal of human remains. He's in the Atlantic Penitentiary in Renoir, New Brunswick, who he's interested in corresponding with women. And here's what he says. I'm a bilingual man with a colorful personality. I have blue eyes and a few very small tattoos near both eyes. I love to joke around, but also I enjoy deep conversations. I can't stand fake people. And I always try to make a positive difference around me. That's something. I love to learn about other cultures. I stay true and I always trust in Jesus a lot. I have come a long way on my path of change. I'm looking for friendships, women between 50 and tw or between 20 and 50 years old. If you're still reading, just send a letter with a picture. And let's get to know each other. It's, it's just amazing like how he, the difference in contrast on how mm -hmm. he perceives himself mm -hmm. to how normal people like you and I perceive him. Mm -hmm. uh, I always trust in Jesus a lot is kind mm -hmm. of a, that's, that's I've a noticed religion is a big topic within a lot of these uh, write-ups, bio, bios, whatever. And it's just, it, it makes me laugh. It's so ironic mm. that these convicted, whatever they are, inmates, because there's there's a broad spectrum killers drug traffickers whatever but yeah a lot of uh a lot of men of god on this website yeah well <laughs> what our plan is here tonight is just as the title of this episode suggests we're going to review some canadian inmate dating profiles what I, and let's tell a little bit about the journey that god is here as well because it's this turned into something. Our original plan was to collect a collection of interesting profiles, talk about their profiles and talk about the crimes that put them behind bars. But very quickly, we stumbled upon some of the most outrageous and bizarre and wild stories that I've ever heard. In fact, one of the stories we happened upon tonight is one I've never, a Canadian crime I've never come across before that is unlike anything I've ever heard or would have imagined and is solid proof that truth is stranger than fiction. And then for the cherry on top, we drop a little dating profile at the end. Um, so I don't know where to start other than jumping right into it. What do you think? That's the only way to do it. Swan dive right in. I'm Samantha Cole host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Aaron Habel of Generation Y, and with me is Jack Luna of Dark Topic. We'd like to introduce you to Marooned, a new podcast that's sure to capture your attention. Tales of the catastrophically lost are what we have to offer. Hikers swallowed by the woods. Explorers discovering nothing but destitution. True crime calamity. Oddities of harrowing human experience. It's a museum of misadventure. So pack a lunch. Subscribe to Marooned wherever you find podcasts. We are waiting. Please hurry. Thank you. If you had have stumbled upon Canadian Inmates Connect looking for love, a duo you may have had to choose between are one of the more infamous Nova Scotian brother criminal duos. They're known as the Preeper Brothers. Have you ever, I guess this probably hasn't come across your way. I Like here in Nova Scotia, the Preeper Brothers, which is 35-year-old Dustin Preeper and his brother, 31-year-old Josh Preeper, are well known for the two murders they're involved in. They're not news to you or they're not someone you're familiar with or? No. When I first read about them, I was like, first, your last name rhymes with Creeper. So that's really funny. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I I only know them because of this podcast episode. Mm-hmm. And be- I opened the article and I was like, I don't find these men attractive at all. Mm-hmm. Well, that's maybe a good thing. Yes. Um, <laughs> the, the Preeper brothers are well known in Nova Scotia after being convicted in the murder of Melissa Peacock in November of 2011. However, the older brother of the two, Dustin, it was convicted in a separate second murder, second unrelated to the murder of Melissa Peacock. Um, and that all happened after he was arrested and charged for her murder. But I'll, I'll tell like a kind of a quick Coles Notes version of who they are, and then we can uh, see which of their dating profiles moves you or doesn't move you. So we'll, we'll, I'll just give a quick rundown of the story relating to the murder of Melissa Peacock. This is um, much like many murder stories. It starts off with a missing person case. Um, Melissa Peacock went missing eight months later. A tip led to the discovery of her remains and the arrest of the Preeper brothers. I'm going to play a short clip that'll explain it, and then we'll get into it here. Here we go. Ruth Slomwhite is happy to hear someone is being rewarded for providing police with information, information that led officers to the people who murdered her daughter. If it wasn't for a tip, we wouldn't, like, I don't even want to think about where we'd be today. We might still not have answers, and how families can go on without answers is beyond me. Melissa Don Peacock was reported missing in November 2011. The case added to the province's reward for major unsolved crimes program the following May. That same month, a tip came in and arrests were made that summer. That information led police to lay charges against two individuals. 20-year-old Joshua Preeper and 24-year-old Dustin Preeper charged with first-degree murder and just last month convicted. Information from the same person also helped solve the murder of Ben Hare. I can say thank you but that doesn't even come close to what I feel. They gave us answers and they brought Melissa home. So that'll give you a bit of the the background as Melissa Peacock had been missing for months. A tip comes in through the Nova Scotia major crime major The Nova Scotia Rewards for Major Unsolved Crime Program, which leads to the discovery of her remains and the arrest of the the two Preeper brothers, 
I'm going to read you the kind of the facts of the case that were presented in court. Um, and that this will give you a sense of what these two are capable of. Dustin, the older brother, seemingly randomly messaged Melissa on Facebook just a few days prior to her disappearance and struck up a conversation uh, describing, and he was writing to her a series of messages explaining that there was some link between like a cousin of his and her. So it was kind of like, you know, you know me or like we kind of know the same person. We should hang out. She agreed to it. Uh, Dustin picked her up in downtown Dartmouth on November 7th. They drove to a rural home for a party. Uh, it was said that Peacock was highly intoxicated, not feeling well, and left the house that the party was at and got into Dustin's car. The younger brother, Josh, saw her do this and approached his older brother and said, I think she's trying to steal your car. Um, they went and took the car keys from her. Around 3.30 in the morning, the two of them, the two brothers, got in the car with Melissa Peacock. She believed it said that they were going to drive her home, but instead they took her to a rural area, dragged her out of the car. The older brother, Dustin, stabbed her and asked his younger brother to drag her into the woods, which he did. When they got her into the woods, um, the older brother dosed her in gasoline, set her on fire. That's how they killed her. The next day, they went back, collected her remains, brought it somewhere else, and buried it. Um, but they got away with it for several months until an anonymous tip came in, um, linking them to the crime, leading to the discovery of her remains. The two brothers were arrested, charged. Uh, they both pled guilty to give a further sense of what kind of people they are. After the hearings were done and just before sentencing both brothers were given the opportunity to address the court uh, Dustin Preeper the older brother the one who did the stabbing and dosed her in gasoline um, when asked by the judge if he had anything to say he did what he did was he gave two middle fingers to everyone in the court and told them to go fuck themselves when everyone in the court gasped he said to the judge what the fuck are you going to do? Give me another 25 years. And the younger brother, I guess, was smart enough to not open his mouth. So before we get into their dating profiles, these are bad dudes, right? Well, that kind of behavior, like this, this, these weren't their first offenses. They've probably been acting like this their entire lives. Mm -hmm. Like, I'd love to know what else they've done that they've gotten away with. Yeah, you don't and, you don't just get mad at someone and go that far. No. Even when well, you they, add they sound pretty dumb. So I think you got to be pretty dumb to address the court in that way as the judge is about to decide your sentence. <laughs> that it, just well, right? Doesn't seem yeah. yeah. Um dumb or not, let's hear about their dating profiles. Do you want to start with the younger brother Josh or the older brother Dustin? Let's start with Josh. We'll okay. work up to... Josh was the one who was not dumb enough to tell off the judge in court. Uh, his charge for the murder of Melissa Peacock was second-degree murder. And he is interested, of course, in corresponding with women. He says, hi, my name is Josh Preeper. I'm serving a 12-to-life sentence for second-degree murder. But don't let that charge scare you off. I'm not crazy. I'm a pretty easygoing guy who likes to joke around and have a good time. I'm looking for friendship and I'm open to connecting with someone to possibly start a relationship with. 
If you're interested in getting to know me and decide to write, please make sure your name and return address is on the envelope or I won't get your letter. And at least your first letter, write your name and return address clearly at the top end of your letter so I don't mess it up when I write you back. That's it. Short and sweet. I guess. But He's not crazy. No. If you and, have to say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess if you tell someone that you're serving a 12 to life sentence for 12, for second degree murder, maybe you do want to quantify that afterwards with like, I guess you can't say, you can't say like, <laughs> I didn't do it because he was found guilty. He admitted to it. So that's out the window. Uh, I guess you could say like it was all a big misunderstanding, but I guess the whole like burning and moving the body kind of takes that away as well. So I think I'm not crazy is probably the only way he could justify I guess. That. And he does want to keep it short and sweet. So yeah, you're um, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's a laid back guy, as he says. He sounds like it. Oh. And just, just a little side note um, on all of these, uh, whatever you want to call them bios descriptions their expected release date is listed mm. and i guess his parole is already up by next year he can apply for parole next year yeah that's right he's uh he says right there expected release date in his profile it says expected release date 2024 so Yikes. hopefully hopefully he doesn't he's listen laughed out of that well parole boardroom and if he gets out i hope he doesn't listen to this episode because i don't think he is that laid back and i believe he to be crazy and he's pretty close to you. So, yeah. Shit, we should have thought this out better. You're in Saskatchewan. I didn't choose anyone from Saskatchewan. Yeah. Find me in Regina, bud. <laughs> anyone at the Prince Albert Penitentiary? I was like, we'll skip you. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's get to the older brother, Dustin Preeper. Fortunately, his expected release date isn't until 2039. And like his younger brother, Josh, while sitting in prison, he too is interested in corresponding with women. Here's how he presents himself. Hi, my name is Dustin Preeper. I'm serving a sentence for first and second degree murder. But please don't let this... Whoa. I just got to stop for a sec because it, it is written like with the same format as his brother. So let me let me get back yep. here. Hi, my name is Just er, <laughs> Dustin Preeper. I'm serving a sentence for first and second degree murder. Please don't let the sentence fool you. I'm not that bad of a guy once you get to know me. I'm pretty easygoing and I like to joke around and laugh. So I hope you have a sense of humor. I like movies, TV shows, music, and tattoos, which I have a lot of. I also stay pretty active. I'm open to meeting and talking to anyone that's honest and truthful. I'm not into the whole drama thing. So if, if all you do is lie and cause shit, don't write. I just ended a long-term relationship because of that, and I'm not looking to get mixed back up with someone like that again. I'll end it at that. And if you'd like to know more about me, if you're interested, please feel free to write. Also, plant your name and address clearly at the end of your letter so I'm able to write you back just in case I don't get the envelope with your return address on it. I hope to hear from you soon. Uh, yeah, they certainly collaborated on their approach to online dating. Either collaborated or the smarter one of the two wrote them both. Oh, that could be it. Um, if I had to guess based on the quality of them, I think... I don't I think Dustin wrote his own because nobody would add this whole like if all you do is cause shit and why would you in your dating profile bash your ex-girlfriend <laughs> that's another like so the secondhand embarrassment I'm like that's like talking about your ex on a first date yeah well like th this is even beyond that that's uh, that's this is like leading the conversation on your first date with like I hope this works out because my last girlfriend she was so into shit and drama and I hope you're not like that. 
like don't don't mind the fact that i'm in jail mm. this is all my ex-girlfriend's fault <laughs> yeah um <laughs> and he even said i'll end it with it yeah he says like I just ended a long-term relationship because of the lies and shit they were causing. I don't want to get mixed back up on that in that again. I'll end it with that, which is like, to me says like, but if you seem interested, I will tell you all day and night about my Well, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> See, the terrible person in me really wants to write him and be like, I have no interest in like communicating with you, but I am very nosy. So what happened? <laughs> <laughs> tell me the whole story. And you I get... have a feeling it was probably mostly you but mm. i'm willing to listen <laughs> well that's could be part two of the series we could like contact the girlfriend get her take on it because i bet you they have a very different story based on oh, what man. i know about him the whole like killing burning woman he just met uh i'm just gonna go out on a limb and say i'm on her side i have a feeling she wasn't maybe she isn't a drum and causing shit but i have a feeling he Maybe brought like it on she, himself. She is probably no angel, but uh, just from this short paragraph, I know exactly what kind of guy this is. And we don't like this kind of guy. Oh, so he's neither Preeper brother uh, is getting a Madeleine Klein letter? Not not a good one. No. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that is the Preeper brothers. And I should also be... For people who can't sense sarcasm, uh, I'm in no way um, recommending anyone write these people. But I wouldn't. No. Well, and I did a little bit of research before tonight's episode because it happens, right? You know, especially in high profile cases, Bundy, uh, Richard Ramirez, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure Paul Bernardo has, you know, groupies, if you will. But there's actually a term for somebody like sexually interested in and attracted to criminals or people who have committed a crime hmm. and it's called uh hybristophilia hybristophilia okay hybristophilia i hope i'm saying that right but uh yeah it's uh it's a thing and well i mean i'm not surprised because people are into like i like you know bad guys or bad girls or whatever. it's just like kind of taking that maybe to an extra level or something I guess like, I, I think it's like a step above a kink, though. Okay. Like it's, yeah, it's it's their preference. They go after criminals or people mm. that commit violent crimes. I I would just think if you're someone like let's say if you're like kind of like lonely and have trouble connecting with people on the outside of prison writing to someone in a prison may be a comfortable way to have someone who's probably not going to judge be judgmental of you and is probably going to give you a lot of attention because why would they judge you they they've you know society is like pointing their finger at them and lock them away but also they just have nothing to like gain or whatever i could just see that connection being uh interesting to someone who just feels like isolated and judged well and at least you always know where they are. Yeah. You, you, You're never wondering. <laughs> yeah, that is that is a good point. Um, so that was the Preeper Brothers from Nova Scotia. I believe you found a profile you want to tell me about. I did. Um, so I came across, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this one a little bit backwards. I'm going to start with their bio. Okay. Because, so I was leafing through our, our Canadian inmates. And I came across one guy and he was holding a cat in one of his pictures. Hmm. 
So I thought, okay, I got to, you know, I got to find out more about this guy. And so just right on the, you know, it said he was convicted of second degree murder. And I always have to remind myself, I was looking for mostly first degree murders, but lawyers are really good and they can talk their client really out of a lot of things. So second degree murders are sometimes almost always first degree murders, but Mm -hmm. I digress. Mm -hmm. So I Googled this guy, um, you know, he he looked uh, hard, if you will. Like he looked like a, a tough guy, but he was holding this really cute cat. So I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. So I Google his name, Rob Reitmeyer of Calgary, Alberta. And the first article to pop up, it's him and his friend who he was convicted with in front of a Nazi flag. Oh. And I was like, what a twist. Okay. So yeah, just uh, Cole's notes, as you would put it. In uh, 2010, this 23-year-old Rob Reitmeyer and his friend Tyler, they were big, like, very proud neo-Nazis. And they were spray painting in an alley one late night, early morning. And this poor 47-year-old guy just was walking to his car and they they beat him to death just unprovoked they didn't know him they they just killed this guy out Mm -hmm. of nowhere so it was like pretty awful i was just like oh my god i don't i don't know if he was a little bit too inspired by the movie american history x or what what was happening there but i'm gonna write i'm gonna read you his his write-up okay So Rob says, I apparently have 250 words to describe myself. I'm very much about family. (laughs) I've been in prison for 12 years now, and it has given me the opportunity to really appreciate the most important things in life, and that includes being there for your loved ones. I'm hoping to get parole next year, but I'm doing a life sentence, so fate rests in the hands of the parole board. I intend to get some tattoo removals, for obvious reasons, lol. That's what it says. It's swastikas (laughs) all over him, I'm sure. See, this is the embarrassing part for me, because then when you go back and look at his photos, there's only two. There's him with the cat, and then you can clearly see in the other photo, he's got a swastika test tattoo. And I was like, oh, God, Madeline, do a full look first. Yeah. (laughs) Um, My interests include music, black metal, hardcore, industrial. I'm a serious animal lover. I plan to volunteer at the local SPCA to walk dogs. I'm interested in physical fitness and working out. I love being in nature, but I'm just as happy being inside, binge watching a series and crushing junk junk food. I hope I didn't exceed my 250 word limit. If you're interested in writing, please feel free to send in a pic. I'm not shallow. I would just like to know who I'm writing. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Hope to hear from you soon. It can get pretty lonely inside. Dot, oh. dot, dot. Like, whose fault is that? Like, yeah. um, the, Well, the cat picture thing worked. I think a lot of people with dating profiles have like them with a cat and an animal. It worked, right? Is that why you stopped on his profile? It absolutely was. I was like, oh. 
Oh, and he then can't be that bad, right? <laughs> and like, how cute? Oh, he can. How nice and cute is a cat if the cat can blind your eyes from like the swastika tattoos on Buddy? That worked. I it really did. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe maybe it's a character flaw on my part, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just and then yeah, so I read his write up and I was like, okay. And then I Googled his name. I was like, oh, yeah, oh. you're a Nazi. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what I, I missed what province that happened in. Where, where did he do this awful thing? Uh, Alberta, Calgary, okay. Alberta. He mm. is in uh, the William Head Penitentiary in BC serving. Okay. Wow. Um, that's, that's something. It, it must be like if you're in prison and you have like Nazi tattoos. Oh. Well, that's. Like they that should can't have go over well, no. Right? But, and if he wants to have them removed, I can almost like of all the things inmates get um, paid for, like of all the things that our money goes towards for inmates in prison, I would be okay with like the government covering the cost of removing like hate symbol tattoos or something. Totally. And well, that... and don't people get tattooed in prison a lot of the times? Just get it covered up yeah but if you're if you're willing to and like if you want to have it removed i think the the actual hardcore like nazi people would hate you for doing that for like denouncing oh yeah it. so i think by actually removing it would be like a genuine symbol of like changing so i think like that's true offering to pay for that i'm okay i would be okay with that um and i would and i would look more positively upon someone who was saying like i'm going to change like i got all my nazi tattoos off because they, they wouldn't just do that the actual nazis would beat the crap out of them for doing that absolutely let's get into a, a friggin roller coaster ride of a crime and a profile I don't even know where to start with this guy. Like this you, is the one we've been waiting for. Oh, I'm so excited to get into this because I've been, I've had my jaw on the floor for the last three days reading about this guy. Uh, much like you had just described being taken aback by the Nazi guy holding the cat and you know, that photo captured you. One of the inmates photos captured me as well and just set me down a path. So the photo was like an kind of an older, heavier set man in a wheelchair and he's in one picture it looks like he's like holding like a squirrel or something and then in the other picture the same older heavier set man is sitting in front of a computer but it's it looks like kind of like a 1990s 2000s era computer it looks like he's in like a computer lab or something and i was just thought like oh that's a weird kind of looking picture this guy has i read his profile and it was kind of crazy uh and I was like, I got to learn about this guy. Initially, our plan was we were just going to talk about people who were in prison for murder. I almost passed over this man because he was actually, it said, his name is Rodney Allen. He's serving prison in Ontario. And it said he was convicted of assault and security breach. And I'm like, oh, like, I think we're going for like murder stories here. So maybe I'll skip him. But I read his... Uh, the rest of his write-up and i'm like i gotta learn more so i'm gonna do this backwards i'm gonna start with his profile and then we'll go through what this guy did because it all kind of connects he even references his crimes in his profile so here's what rodney allen says about himself so is his, his expected release date what he filled in was i'm going to die in prison 
and interested in corresponding with men and women. He says, my name is Rodney Allen Sr. I'm a Jewish Canadian with brown hair, green eyes, and I'm 5'6". I've been in custody for a very long time for a crime I never committed. Although there is no internet access in prison, I spend my time on the computer writing certain programs that will make the world a better place to live. The nickname I'm given is Y2K. I love to write people and I'm very polite and very pleasant to people. I'm looking for people that are honest and caring, just like me. No head games. My hobbies are painting and model making and watching television to entertain myself in current affairs of this great world. I also enjoy cooking, making kosher meals and eating well. I'm looking for people who like to be honest and caring and would love to talk anything about anything as long as it's clean in nature. I've served 15 years of my life in the Canadian prison system in which it is unfair and not right, but I don't have any say because I'm a prisoner of the government of Canada. So does that come across as a bit like unhinged? Oh yeah. Okay. Super squirrely. Yeah. Um, and he was holding a squirrel in that photo. The, the <laughs> parts of it I want to come back on is he mentions that people call him Y2K. You know what Y2K is, right? You're, yeah, you're oh, yeah. younger than me. So, you know, so for, for people who don't, let me just briefly explain that when the clocks were changing from the year 1999 into the year 2000, a lot of computer programs were written in a way to save memory space that only the, the, the last two numbers of a four digit year were actually coded. So like automatically it would be like, you know, 19 would be there, but the computer code would change 97 to 98, 98 to 99. But what ended up happening when clocks were turning over from 1999 to the year 2000, they had to quickly kind of scramble to change a lot of code of old programs to allow all four numbers to change. And so much like computer program has kind of like evolved and be rewritten and had multiple things kind of combined together that there was this idea that we're not going to be able to correct everything in the whole computer system we rely on to power society may collapse uh when the clocks turn from 1999 to the year 2000 they called it the y2k problem and some people believed you know it's going to be inconvenient and uh flights may be delayed and whatnot uh, for a couple days until they figure it out but some other people believed when this happens, the nuclear missiles are gonna launch themselves, the nuclear power plants are gonna melt down, power is gonna be out across the world, the end of the world is happening one minute after midnight on you know January on December 31st, 1999. So anyway, that is the Y2K thing. And that is Rodney Allen's nickname. Why is that relevant? Well, his crimes, let me tell you what he's, in prison for but then we'll back up a little bit so 66 year old rodney allen is in prison as a result of a series of crimes that occurred in the year 1999 leading up to the year 2000. he's a former private school bus driver and what it means by private school bus driver is he actually owned a company where he was the owner of the school buses and schools and groups would hire him to move kids around. Um, he was a school bus driver who pled guilty to a series of sexually motivated offenses against four young boys. After being convicted, he was actually labeled a dangerous offender. And that's probably why he's saying, I'm never going to get out. I'm going to die in prison. But as we get into his story, you may agree with that sentence. Um, his court records show that he exhibits something called 
homosexual hebophilia, which means that he's attracted specifically to boys just as they're entering puberty. So that's so he would be of extreme risk to boys aged 10 to 14 years old, which are actually the age of the children that he's in prison for sexually abusing were in that age range. But to, to describe what he did exactly, I'm just going to read two short articles. The first is a, a CBC article in which uh, when he was being um, arrested and charged in 1999, CBC did that thing where they talked to like other people who knew him about what he was like. And they managed to meet a young boy who lived in the same apartment as Rodney Allen, who wasn't affected by him or wasn't victimized by him, but was probably on the way to it. So here's what CBC, the CBC article says. So it says, 14-year-old Sean and his mother have only lived in the neighborhood for a couple of months. Sean says a man introduced himself in the elevator one day and spoke to him about a high-end computer he had. Sean ended up going to the man's apartment to see the computer, but only after asking his mother. She told him, she told him to stay only 20 minutes. Fortunately, nothing happened to Sean, but police say three other Mississauga boys weren't so lucky. And police say the computer was used as the bait. So that kind of sets up maybe how he was luring these people. But this other article gets into exactly what he did. Investigators say a man enticed at least three 13-year-old boys with alcohol and computer games. He, he told the boys and had convinced the boys that the world would explode upon the new year and said that he could protect them within his bunker and said he could protect them with a bunker he had access to because he told them he worked for the FBI and a high-powered computer he had that he was given by the FBI. Um, but there was a catch. Rodney Allen told the boys they could only be allowed in the bunker that the FBI gave him if they could provide a DNA sample. And the collection of that DM DNA sample led to sexual encounters that involved pornographic websites and a pellet gun, which police say was used in a dangerous manner. Investiga investigators also alleged the boys were taken on trips to Toronto to visit prostitutes. The police have charged 42-year-old Rodney Allen with sex and weapons offenses. Reading between the lines, I couldn't find the court documents of what exactly he did, but it seemed like he was convinced that why, or at least convinced these kids that the Y2K issue was going to end the world. He lied about being an FBI agent, lied about access to a bunker, involved pornography, pellet gun, prostitutes, and the collection of DNA from children. I'm just, one of the most baffling things to me is he said like, oh yeah, like I got the nickname Y2K in prison. His kind do not fare well in prison. So I don't know how he made any friends. Yeah, but he's, yeah. as we'll learn, this is only like, we've already talked about some crazy stuff about this Rodney Allen. It is going to get weirder because he, I think maybe the way, the reason he's been able to convince these kids of this and survive in prison is he's so manipulative. First of all, he, um, this situation in 1999 wasn't his first time being convicted of crimes against children. In fact, in 1983, he pled guilty to charges after he made two young boys around the same age who worked for him in a video arcade strip and stand naked next to him as a way to prove their trust, to, to gain his trust and pr prove their like 
I don't know, obedience to him as their boss. Um, they ended up going to police and he was, he was arrested for that and charged for that as well. So it's something that's been going on for a long time, but here's where it gets nuts. When I was reading about Rodney Allen, the guy who used uh, like a sort of like doomsday pedophile is what I called him. Uh, I kept stumbling upon these articles about a Rodney Allen from Canada who is like a key player in the early days of the allegations against the singer Michael Jackson. Of course, Michael Jackson was accused of molesting children by many people, but I don't know if there's anyone in the world who's accused him as much and as prolifically as this man, Rodney Allen. And this is where it gets really weird. I think the best way to introduce Rodney Allen's connection to the allegations of Michael Jackson against Michael Jackson, which seemed to very much be an obsession of Rodney Allen, is by playing a short clip of, well, it's actually not a short clip. It's about four minutes of a TV show. Uh, I don't, it's not on anymore. It's called Hard Copy. It was an American television show that was kind of like I guess like a trashy version of like Dateline or something. It was kind of a mix of like investigative journalism in news, but it was a bit salacious and like they were all often like getting sued for like, you know, libel and slandery kind of stuff. But they, um, but hard copy did a lot of coverage of the, the accusations, the child sex accusations against Michael Jackson. Here's where Rodney Allen comes in is, hard copy was receiving an incredible amount of letters initially from rodney allen but they were also getting letters from other people from canada with different names they weren't responding to the letters but then the anti kind of the anti was raised when they started getting kind of video confessions or video kind of testimonials hard copy decided to pursue why are we getting videos from mississauga ontario of children describing being molested by Michael Jackson. I'll play the clip, then we'll talk about it. Terry, ever since the Michael Jackson child molestation scandal broke, we've gotten a constant stream of calls and letters from people making dubious claims about the singer. Frankly, we ignore most of them. But when I heard the facts of this story, I just had to go to Canada and check it out myself. And I'd like to make a confession about something that happened between me and Michael Jackson. He is only 15 years old, so we can't show you his face or let you hear his real name. But the 11-minute home video he sent hard copy several weeks ago could have become Michael Jackson's worst nightmare. Looking straight into the camera, using no notes, this boy proceeded to tell us in graphic detail how he and another teen were allegedly molested by the superstar. He said, it's okay, don't worry, your bodies are meant to be touched. But the boy wasn't acting on his own. He had help. A man who identified himself as John Templeton of Mississauga, Canada. That's a suburb of Toronto. He sent us the boy's videotape statement and even called several times to make sure we looked at it. Then I got a call from the boy himself. Diane Diamond. 
Over the next few days, I spoke with the boy for hours, and he never wavered. His story stayed consistent. This 15-year-old described in detail the people in Jackson's entourage, the layout of the ranch, and even Jackson's family home at Encino. Later, he would draw us incredibly detailed maps of both Jackson homes. It was clear either the boy was telling the truth or he had been well coached. To get to the bottom of it, I agreed to meet the boy and John Templeton in Toronto. The plan was to meet the pair in the lobby of an airport hotel, but when I arrived, the only one to greet me was the young boy. He came with me into town and told me that he lived on the streets of Toronto, in a section called Boys Town, where the street kids gather. He explained that his mother had kicked him out of the house and that John Templeton was just a man he'd met on the streets. He kind of helps the street kids, like just talks to them and things like, got a, sort of like the guidance counselor of the street, that's what it seemed like. But over the next few days, a hard copy team conducted hours of interviews with the boy. He talked for hours, and he knew so much, so much, in fact, that we thought, well, let's give him a test, you know, to see if we could trip him up. We showed the boy several photographs. Some of them were of Neverland employees, and he was able to identify each and every one of them. If this was a scam, this boy had really done his homework. But there was one thing I didn't tell the boy. I didn't tell him that for the last year, I'd been getting Michael Jackson-related letters from his same small suburb in Canada. The letters were supposedly from other young boys who also claimed that they had been molested by Jackson. Two of the letters even included pictures of the boys. Well, someone was behind all this, but still, there was no sign of the man who'd sent us the original video statement of the boy. No sign of John Templeton. There's a Detective Campbell downtown. He doesn't know your name, he doesn't know anything yet. Okay. But he's waiting to see us. Wanna go? Yeah. From the very beginning, the boy never asked us for money, and he repeatedly said he didn't want any money from Michael Jackson either. So what was his motivation? Well, he said it was simple. He said he wanted justice. And now he was about to give a sworn statement to the police. We delivered the boy to the Toronto Metro Police Headquarters, where detectives from the Sexual Assault Unit had been waiting for us. While the boy talked with police, we continued our investigation. We had to find this John Templeton. So we drove out to the Toronto suburbs to check out the return address from the videotape he'd sent us. That's when we ran into somebody we knew. What the hell is going on? Okay, Diane, let me explain something to you. Say hello to John Templeton, only his real name is Rodney Allen. We've known about Rodney for a long time. Right after the Michael Jackson scandal first broke, he was on the phone to us claiming that another Jackson family member had molested him years ago. Rodney has never offered any solid proof of this claim. He appeared to be a man bent on revenge. And Rodney admitted he was the one who'd been writing me all those letters. I care about this one kid who gave me all sorts of information about Neverland, about Havenhurst, about Disneyland, about Michael Jackson's body. Where did he get all that information? He got it from me. You planted all this stuff I in this kid's I head? I didn't plant it in his head. He was asking questions, I answered them the best I can. I told him what I could tell about the place. Because I, I want Michael to face it. So this kid is a A1, number one liar. 
professional. The whole story was a scam. A Toronto street kid meets a man obsessed with the Michael Jackson case, and the result could have been an international scandal. Meanwhile, back at the police station, the boy finally broke down. He admitted that he and Rodney Allen had made up the whole story. The young boy was lying. Um, that's my belief, and, and, and as a result of that, he was charged, yes. Can you tell us what he was charged with? Uh, public mischief. Well, the boy is still in custody tonight, and police continue their investigation of Mr. Rodney Allen. Good grief. What a bizarre, like, twist in that whole story to go from Y2K to the slave to the government, molesting kids for DNA samples, and then you end up in, like, he's tricking, like, a major American news site about Michael Jackson. Like what a what a series of events! What a twist! Yeah, um, like, and then all along, he was the pedophile. Yeah, <laughs> like well, he actually had come out first, apparently writing to hard copy in every other place, saying I was abused by Michael Jackson. But he's actually older than Michael Jackson, so it's like, wait a sec, what's you like? He couldn't have abused. Something's you not adding up here. So then he started saying writing these letters and say, actually, it wasn't Michael Jackson. It was another member of the family. Like, I don't know, maybe his dad or something. Um, and then when that wasn't getting him like on the news or getting them serious, he then started writing as if he was all these different identities. And in, in, in like my son or my neighbor was molested by Michael Jackson. And when that wasn't working, it seems what he did was approached probably the same street kids that he was preying upon and either paying them or in some way coaxing them to sit in front of a camera and tell their story. And he was then sending that stuff to these sites and hard copy. At least they bit enough to send a crew down there and get to the bottom of it. And luckily they, they did, they did enough journalism and investigation to actually get to the bottom of it. And they get Rodney Allen on the street and get a confession out of him. That's just, well, like this is, the delusion this is why he was labeled a dangerous offender certainly this dude is he's terrifying. yeah uh, yeah so with all that said this guy is now still on the internet in some capacity trying to although he's not using a computer to connect to the internet he is still has a stuff out there like write to me i worry for anyone who's vulnerable that would write this guy Right. Well, and just from his write up, he doesn't get it. Like he doesn't understand the severity of his crimes. Mm. Oh, which... he said he says he didn't commit it. Right. And, you know, a registered psy psychiatrist begs to differ. Like, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. He was labeled like high risk to reoffend. And yeah, it's at least he knows he's in prison forever. What, with, what, you know? Yeah, I'm curious about, he says in his, his write-up, um, yeah, I'm here for a long time for a crime I never committed. Although there's no internet connection in prison, I love to spend my time on the computer writing certain programs that would make this world a better place to live in. I wonder what the hell he's up to on the computers. I'm sure he would love a couple like 11-year-old boys to help him design it as well. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, like, I would love to just kind of see what he's been doing. From but a distance? 
very, very far distance. Oh, uh, this has been a roller coaster ride. I had never heard of this Rodney Allen, but in reading it, it, like in stumbling upon his connection to the Michael Jackson case, for there are people who there's this kind of like battle that plays out between people who believe Michael Jackson is guilty of molesting kids and people who think that uh, that he isn't. Um, Rodney Allen, like people in that world that are, uh, they know of Rodney Allen as he was like kind of like a prolific accuser in the early days. And when you Google his name and Michael Jackson, you'll find various like blogs and message boards from like the 90s where people are talking about the Rodney Allen allegations. He's been involved in it, like I think from like 93 on he was kind of like involved in accusing michael jackson of these things in some way well and just like the behavior during that time of his life the the allegations and then even before he was being a weirdo Mm -hmm. so when he was finally convicted there were only four victims i would love to know how many there actually are oh when it's in the staggering i bet oh yeah in toronto at the time like now i think um Vancouver is seen as kind of like the hotspot for homelessness and like those kind of social problems. But I think back in the 90s, Toronto was a lot worse. I remember going to Toronto as a kid. My mom lived there and just walking down like downtown and seeing like just children like living on the street and teenagers living on the street all over the place. It was like and I was shocked by it coming from small town Cape Breton to see like kids my age just like sitting there with a on a cardboard box in the rain with a little pan looking for money you have a guy like this he you know going down there with owns his own business but is a complete weirdo had already been convicted of having children prove their obedience to him by standing naked next to him yeah i'm sure there's countless victims that didn't have the resources to come out oh, of the woodwork and... he he preyed on the vulnerable for sure uh-huh and it finally caught up to him and thank god in 1999 they got him and put him away because this guy he is horrifying and yeah i think he's right he'll he'll never see the light of day again can you for imagine, good reason can you imagine his parole hearings oh my god they're probably like single digit minutes mm. they're like no next <laughs> yeah <laughs> dismissed yeah um well that is our three inmate uh prospects for eligible um victims in rodney allen's case i know you shouldn't say that these are just three people who are looking to talk to someone and uh i'm not interested in talking to them but somebody out there is there's something for everyone and i like i would love to know how many of these men receive correspondence i want to know what their success rate is yeah Uh, because you know there's some that like you have mentioned and then i came across one searching for some other guy but profiles have come off so like have have they entered relationships mm -hmm. that's a good point what's Uh, going on yeah, I, another uh, Nova Scotian-based criminal that was discussed on this show is Will Sanderson. Um, he is was convicted twice because they had two trials in the murder of Taylor Sampson. He has a profile on there. Um, there's been several others. They're just the names of kind of escaping me of who the higher profile ones are. But like you said, it's predominantly men. 
there are some women on there. Um, but yeah, I'm sure it does generate letters. It's got to. Otherwise, it wouldn't exist still. Yeah. And uh, I've, you know what? I found it funny that Rodney Allen was the only man that I came across under the inmate section that was looking to score correspond with men and women. Hmm. Most of the men only want to correspond with women. There is an, uh, like an LGBTQ. Like yeah. There's a LGBTQ section with like seven men in it maybe. Mm -hmm. And then there's, there's a woman's and I think there's four women, three or mm -hmm. four women. But for men, there's probably a hundred or 200 of them or something. Yeah. Yeah. There's Endless like seven scrolling. pages mm -hmm. of straight guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's something else. I think people will be surprised it exists, surprised that murderers from their province are on there looking to get pen pals or dates or whatever. Uh, where do you think we go with this? Is this a one-off series? Should we do, or is this a one-off episode looking at this or, or should this be a series? I ask that both to you, Madeline, and to the listeners. If people are listening and they think we should pursue more of these stories of profiles with the the con through, told through the context of the crimes i'd love to hear from anyone what do you think madeline what did you think of this i would love to do a series on this you because do, you even love just, a train wreck i do it's <laughs> it's one of my my biggest vices i love yeah i love stuff like this well and it's just like because you kind of get it from their perspective first just looking on this website and then you google their crime and more often than not, you're like, oh, okay. One of my favorite things I came across was one guy, His uh, he was convicted of trafficking cocaine. And then in his profile, it said, I have a degree in addictions and counseling. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's... Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, that was, that's awesome, but... <laughs> Yeah. Well, but yeah, I just I it's it, it's just very odd to kind of get their own perspective of themselves and then see what they did. And it's like, oh, oh, yeah. And how it's, do you it's an interesting companion to the encounters with creeps because it's kind of like, I don't know, it, it, it's like the uh, not even a distant cousin of that series, I think. That's right. Maybe like once removed. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been a. um a disturbingly good time before we wrap this up anything coming up on the horizon you want to tell us about that you haven't told us about already today anything you're working on or looking forward to or are you just completely preoccupied with like nesting i think is what they call it i can't wait to start nesting because my house is a disaster oh God. Um, but I, this series has really inspired me i i think i want to do something something with canadian inmates connect okay all right that's yeah a good on idea. my youtube channel just because it's so interesting yeah that's for a good lack idea. of a better word yeah if people listening aren't subscribed they got to find madeline on youtube and tiktok if you use that sort of thing uh, find her there and it, her channels will be linked in the episode description but let's wrap this up madeline it's been a blast Ish. it has been it's it's like the creep episodes i shouldn't like these but this this one was i did enjoy this <laughs> it's like it makes me think like who are the creeps is it us or them because right. we really enjoy this <laughs> i look forward all week to talking with the michael jackson guy <laughs>
I want to thank you for joining Madeleine Klein and I for this episode of Nighttime. I'm going to start wrapping things up, but before I do, I want to give some thanks. First, a thank you to Madeleine for spending another evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. A big shout out to Monty Data, who contributes to the music for this episode, and LJ from the Dystopian Simulation podcast, who provides my intro and outro voiceovers. And then lastly, but most importantly, a massive thank you goes out to each and every one of you listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. Now on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Adam, Nethead J, and Catherine, thank you for going premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show, you can help out in a variety of ways. First of all, a premium feed subscription costs only a couple dollars a month, and it funds the creation of the show. But more than that, it'll give you the episodes two days early, give them to you ad-free, and give you access to a full back catalog of nighttime episodes. If it sounds interesting to you, you can go premium right now at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And just a gentle reminder, annual premium feed subscribers get a free nighttime swag pack by mail. And if for whatever reason you don't want to go premium, you can still help the show out by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting all your like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas, if you want to get feedback on the show, or if you'd like to submit a question or comment for an upcoming episode, like I said, we invite you to go to nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. We hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Hi. Her name is Elspeth. Elspeth Tassioni. You know her as the offbeat but brilliant defense attorney from The Good Wife and The Good Fight. You've been a very busy little bee. Buzz, buzz. Now, she's in New York with the NYPD. This is very different. But still using her unconventional ways to find the truth. You're trying to sniff me, Miss Tassioni? <laughs> Elspeth, new series Thursdays on Global. Stream on Stack TV.